It's go time. Previously on Third Down Gamble. <laughs> and it's been a lot of fun, Don, so thank you for... Uh... Well, let's not sign off as if we're, we're leaving forever. A Third Down Gamble Quick Kick. Welcome to Quick Kicks and Snack Bites. Pete is joining me today for our first foray into this idea. And Heath, before we get to the topic that we really want to discuss, let's just take a moment here and take a look at those NFL opt-outs and just see if anything has piqued your interest, surprised you, etc. Um, no real surprises. I guess kind of the, the first one that jumps out at me is Dakota Shepley from the Riders. Um, on a multi-year contract currently and has opted out. Um, other than that, um, I guess one of the bigger names out there right now is McLeod Bethel-Thompson. Um, a few other quarterbacks that are kind of second and third stringers on the list as well. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if anybody sticks in any capacity. It's not like uh, Bethel-Thompson really lit up the league in the CFL last year. So is he somebody that an NFL team will take a serious look at? I don't know. Um, other than that, there's going to be some vacancies in, in kicking positions across the CFL next year, potentially. Um, they're more the type of player that I can see sticking on an NFL roster. As we know, NFL coaches and GMs have a pretty short leash when it comes to a, a kicker that's not performing. So um, we've got White, Lothar, and Castillo. Um, and actually, John Ryan has thrown his name in there as well as uh, kickers and punters that are going to try to land a job south of the border. Yeah, by my count right now, we have 81 players that have tossed their names into the NFL uh, sweepstakes. This number, of course, will change probably by the time this podcast airs. But um, it really surprises me, I think, the number of linebackers that have taken the opportunity to go. There are some starters there, a Saskatchewan getting hit pretty hard. That one, especially Cam Judge, I really didn't think he would go. And then you've got uh, defensive backs. You've got wide receivers. It seems like the the skill position players on the outside are are taking a chance. But for the most part, other than Collins, who you mentioned, and a couple other players, they are guys that were trying to get roster spots, not guys that were established stars. Exactly. And it's interesting, as we've kind of talked about before, CFL linebackers are kind of in that tweener size category for the NFL. Um, are they big enough to be a, a solid linebacker in the NFL? Are they fast enough to be a cover guy? Uh, it's going to be really tough, I think, for, for some of those linebackers to land jobs. Some of the defensive backs, some of the wide receivers are more likely, uh, receivers especially maybe in a returner, a kick returner role, things along those lines. You've talked about... Adam Big Hill's interview before about trying to make it on an NFL roster as an undrafted guy coming into camp. It's going to be a tough slog. Um, I see special teams as maybe their ins. Uh, as far as like a, a starter role on a roster, it's going to be really, really tough to break in. Well, and the other thing I think too, and we alluded to it in our last podcast, was the whole notion that your timeline is so tight. You've got... NFL game starting in about a week's time and well as we speak but it's going to be a couple of days when this podcast comes out and it's just going to be really 
tough. Where do you find a spot when you've got so many moving parts, guys that are being cut, guys that are being signed, everything like that? Like, And you've got 80-plus CFL players that all of a sudden show up and say, we want jobs. It might come down to who's got the best agent. Um, I think getting your foot in the door in a lot of these NFL clubs is going to be tough. And you've got to come in and make an impact right away. Um, if you've got somebody advocating for you uh, with a good highlight reel of what you can do, you might make it. But, uh, you know, there's 32 teams in the NFL. And if you don't know where you're going yet, it's going to be really tough to uh, to establish yourself and, and make an impact, a big enough impact that the team's going to take a chance on you. And... You alluded to the Big Hill interview on Three Down Nations podcast, and one of the things that Adam really elocuted repeatedly throughout the process was that if you're not known to them and you're not a guy that they are favorable toward in the first place, like I, they saw you in college, they saw you in high school, they, there's there's some sort of connection. It's it's almost like you've come from another planet, and you're trying to convince them that hey, I'm worth it, and they they look at you like uh, what? Yeah, one of the ones that has kind of piqued my interest is uh, Theodric Hansen from the Bombers. And he is probably the most successful of the international experience with the CFL. Came over from Germany. You know, he's a backup defensive lineman, more focused on the special teams. And I know he's got one booming tackle from the Grey Cup where he took out two Tiger Cats. He can play that that little clip on a loop and not much else. So he's going to be a really unknown guy coming in. Is that enough to get somebody to look at him as a special teams player and what he can do there? I don't think he's got enough experience on the defensive line to really uh, fit into a team in that role. Is he somebody that's going to be completely dismissed because they just know absolutely nothing about him? I think anything's possible. And I I don't know. Does a a one-hit make you a one-hit wonder? And... (laughs) There is the rub, right? Like, how do you come to terms with all of this? Because I'm certain that GMs and coaches down in the States are pretty much getting set with the roster that they want to go into week one. Cut down days, all that sort of stuff are upon us. So how do you fit in? Like, you're just, you're coming out of nowhere. You're getting off the bus and saying, hello. You know, looking at the names on this list, a lot of them are young and not really established CFL guys. They're a couple of years out of college. There might be enough recognition with a few of those guys to have a chance. Um, and then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got John Ryan going back there and, and trying his luck again. He's an established guy. He did hang around for quite a number of years in the NFL with uh, Green Bay and Seattle. Um, is there a team maybe that's looking for a bit of a veteran presence in the in the kicking game that will give him another look. I think it's the guys in between that are going to have the toughest toughest road ahead of them that aren't the the 23 to 25-year-olds and they're not the guy that's been around for a long time. They might be kind of the forgotten ones in this mix. It's going to be interesting. Uh, Naylor on the Rod Peterson show said that very few would make it. And the other thing you've got to consider is that this is a huge pool of people coming at you at once. So instead of being the odd guy that opted out and is noticed, now you're part of a whole pack of players that have just shown up. And even if you spread them out at three per team, just for sake of argument, that's still a lot of humanity that 
has to find a home on a roster. I, I certainly can't fault them for trying. With the uncertainty of, of what's happening, obviously this season is gone in the CFL. Next season, who knows what it's going to look like. They've got families to feed. They've got to figure something out. So go give it a try. You know, I would be surprised if more than maybe five find a roster spot or even I can't see more than much more than that even getting on a practice roster. Um, but certainly I, I have a lot of respect for these guys and uh, I wish them all luck and uh, would love to see them all get uh, get paid for playing football somewhere, whatever that looks like. CFL players all wear a face mask for safety. With COVID-19 on our field, we also need to wear our masks to keep everyone safe. Do your part. Be a team player. Moving away from opt-outs, let's go to what, where my heart is being torn to shreds no Labor Day weekend in the CFL. We just went through that. That was hard not to be at a game. Certainly, Labor Day is probably the highlight of the regular season for a lot of CFL fans. Um, obviously, we know the rivalries that have been going on for years and years. I guess one good thing for me is I didn't have to watch the Bombers lose another Labor Day game in Regina. However, I'm kind of like Charlie Brown trying to kick the football. And every year I go into that Labor Day Classic with hope in my heart and ready to, to kick the winner only to have it pulled away at the last second. And last year... A classic case of Brett Lowther putting it through the uprights at the end. There have been so many classic games in Regina, and I know you as a as a Blue Bomber fan, it's got to be painful. But the one thing that I do like about going to those games with you is that no matter who wins or loses, there's a respect that, hey, somebody's feeling it and somebody's happy. Let's just keep it civil. You know, I think that, that stems from us both being big fans of the CFL in general. Yes, we're certainly passionate about our team. As history indicates, I'm not necessarily ever going into a Labor Day game expecting the Bombers are going to walk all over the Riders. Uh, we've certainly seen years where the Bombers have gone in with a 7-2 and two record versus a 2-7 and seven Riders team, only to get their tails handed to them with another, another stomping. So don't get me wrong, if I'm ever in attendance again on a Labor Day game when the Bombers win, I'll certainly be loud and proud. Um, I just have a, an expectation of what may happen based on history. A history bite here from Labor Day Saskatchewan versus Winnipeg. 55th time last year. The two teams have met since 49. The Riders are ahead 36-19, overall winning now 14 of the last 15. They did play one time in Winnipeg all those years ago. <laughs> but for the most part, I know... Winnipeg has complained that they should get a share of those gate revenues because they should play in Winnipeg every so often. But I think that ship has sailed. And I think if you, the CFL gets into this whole notion of or revenue sharing, uh, then maybe Winnipeg wouldn't be so uptight. Yeah, I agree. And I think the thanks to Troy Westwood, I guess, for the development of the Banjo Bowl. Terrible name, but great game. It's, caught, it's created that tradition of the back-to-back. -back. And I have certainly... No problem with the Labor Day game being in Regina every year and then the following week back in Winnipeg. I think it's a, a great tradition that they've started um, that I hope continues for many, many years to come. Um, I've certainly been at both games several times and the amount of Bomber fans that make the trek to Regina every year 
and vice versa, the, the Ryder fans that, that go to Winnipeg every year. It's become a great tradition, a real fun atmosphere, and uh, I wouldn't want to change it at all. Now, for fans of the podcast who are listening out east, just give them a, a sense of the time it takes to get from Winnipeg to Regina for a game on the bus. <laughs> yeah, um, just to drive, you're looking at minimum road time about six hours uh, with stops for food party buses stopping for multiple bathroom breaks and reload on drinks and that sort of thing. It's an all day event. Um, you know, it's certainly not just hopping in the car for a couple of hours and you're there, you're making a track, you're making a commitment to this event. Very hard to go just for game day and come back. You're looking at an overnight somewhere along the way. You're looking at, uh, you know, hotels, extra meals and that sort of thing. So, the camaraderie, I think, that's even felt. Certainly when I lived in Winnipeg, I appreciated the Riders fans that came. I always had great great conversations with them. Um, I know a lot of my friends from Manitoba that make the trek every year to Regina and for the most part are treated very well by Rider fans. It's a, a, a great friendly rivalry and people really appreciate, I think, the fans of the other team making the atmosphere what it is on Labor Day. And I think that's what makes this league so great. I know there are always incidents and there are idiots that dump beer on people and crap like that. But for the most part, yeah, there is sort of a welcoming, hey, we know you're going to cheer for your team, just don't get too boisterous. <laughs> and we will try to do the same. <laughs> exactly. There's, there's always fans that are going to take things too far. Um, I've seen it at both stadiums, unfortunately. Um, I haven't really been in the middle of it. I've had a couple of little jawing matches here and there. But um, one thing I always say um, about the riders, I don't necessarily like the team, but I love the fans. Um, I love that we can uh, we can jaw back and forth. We can kind of poke fun. Um, I've been at Banjo Bowl games that have gone really, really well for Winnipeg. I've been at the Banjo Bowl game that was 55-10 for the riders. So, uh, you know, I've been on, on both sides of the uh, of the taunts. And, uh, and I love the atmosphere. It's, it's like nothing else that I think you can really experience in Canadian sports, certainly. Um, and it's uh, very, very dear to me in uh, the whole event that is the Labor Day Classic. Toronto-Hamilton, who are the other participants, and Edmonton and Calgary. And Edmonton-Calgary, it's about a two-hour trek between the cities by car. Hamilton and Toronto, that's like walking out the front door <laughs> to get there. That's less than an hour. I would love to be in those stadiums for those games, just as a neutral, just to see how that atmosphere is, because I'm certain within Alberta, Edmonton, Calgary has just got to be super intense. They've got the hockey teams as well, two cities of pretty similar size, and uh, a lot of envy, I think, back and forth between the two. So uh, it would really def definitely be something to experience, um, just to see how it compares. Um, you know, I, I know you're probably going to get a bit more of a, a split crowd at those games than you do in Regina and in Winnipeg just because of the distance uh, needed to travel. Um, it's always impressive, though, to see the little chunks of blue in the sea of green at the Labor Day games. But uh, certainly, I guess, three-hour drive roughly between the two cities, you can get a lot more of the support for the visiting team in those games as well. And Edmonton does a great job of getting the, the school kids involved in that rematch game. Regardless of what your record is, you kind of zone in on those two weekends and really kind of key them to see where you can go from here. Because up until this point in the CFL season, 
you've played about 10 games. Now it's kind of, you may, Labor Day weekend is always the cue to make the turn. This is the race to the playoffs. If you've really screwed up in the first half of the season, you've got a lot of work to do. But if you're coming in at six wins, seven wins, then if you can do something on Labor Day, that's your, your push to go right to the finish. For sure. And I think one thing we've seen is it's really tough to win both ends of a back-to-back. So if you can do that, you are really launching yourself forward. Um, you know, I think uh, 2001, the Bombers won both of them. They did go to the Grey Cup that year, uh, unfortunately didn't win, but it kind of propelled them through that season. Um, I know the Riders have had seasons where they've swept both games and uh, been very successful as well. Um, you know, like I said, we've, we've seen record doesn't matter when it goes into the Labor Day games. You can have both teams at the top of their game and one's going to blow the other one out of the water. You can have a team that's really struggling to find themselves and all of a sudden everything clicks when they get on the field. Um, it's it's a really, really unique couple of weeks um, that, uh, that, like you said, really set up the rest of the season. You can come in two and seven, win both games, and then all of a sudden you're pushing for that third place playoff spot, uh, really turn things around quick. And just thinking of the Thai Cats and the Argonauts, we, you know, I know you've had a lot of pain over the Bombers' visits to Regina, but Hamilton is thirty-five and thirteen in their Labor Day Classic. That's just absolute dominance, <laughs> and that's really surprising as well. Because there's been some, I mean, Hamilton's generally a pretty good team, but there's been some bad Hamilton teams, and there's been some very successful Toronto teams. So that's a a pretty staggering number as well. Um, I'm, I imagine there's a lot of uh, Argo fans that go into that game in a similar situation to me, just hoping that Lucy doesn't pull that football away and they go flying. <laughs> oh, you and your Charlie Brown. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Good grief. And then, and then going to, to Calgary, incredibly, Edmonton and Calgary, <laughs> they are even. Wow. <laughs> That's really something. Now, are they predominantly hosted in Calgary for Labor Day or have they actually moved back and forth a bit more than the other ones? They are pretty much the same as the others. Uh, they've had a couple of years where they miss 73 and 81 and the Stampeders tend not to recognize the 1949 to 53 games that were played on the holiday weekend in Edmonton, but the CFL does. It really does, I don't know, take something away. Like when we have a weekend like Labor Day weekend, and you don't have all of those games going, it really kind of, uh, it bothers me. The NFL seems to be starting a little bit later now, so CFL still has a wide open plate to uh, to go for it on Labor Day weekends. Yeah, I guess, you know, Montreal, Ottawa can be a game. You know, before Ottawa came back, it was kind of a, a, a tough slog for, for Montreal and BC to try to get any kind of momentum going in that weekend. Um, you know, but I, I think the tradition of these matchups is really important. You look at the NFL and their Thanksgiving Thursday games, right? You know the Detroit Lions are going to play, and you know the Dallas Cowboys are going to play. Um, but the but the NFL, sorry to interject, but the NFL has really watered that down. They have. You don't you don't have matchups anymore like you used to. They have now added a bunch more teams. They've rotated who who's involved. It's not like the CFL where they've. No, and that's that's kind of my point, is you know two teams that are going to play, but it's, you know, it, it would make more sense if it was always 
the Cowboys and Giants or the Cowboys and Washington. And, uh, and Detroit against uh, Chicago would be a, a ideal matchup. For some reason, they, and I don't know if it's TV revenue, what their plan is, but they don't seem to stick with really creating those traditional matchups on a day when all eyes are on them. Um, so I think that's one thing the CFL has done really well for the most part is these are the rivalries that everybody knows. These are the rivalries that those fan bases get fired up for. Labor Day weekend has become the traditional weekend for it and the following week for the, uh, the back-to-back. Let's roll with it. Let's keep that going. Let's build something from it. They've, they really market Labor Day Classic as an event. Um, and it's, it's, I think, really impactful to have that at kind of the mid-season point as well. You can do your, your season kickoff launch weekend and make that kind of an event. Obviously, you've got your, your playoff push at the end of the season. But to have something midpoint that is that important and that well-marketed, I think, does great things for momentum and for viewership for the league. Well, and Labor Day becoming the midpoint of the season really didn't start until about 1970 because prior to that, the CFL had started so late that Labor Day might be the fifth or sixth game of the season and there'd still be 10 to 12 to go. Yeah, so I think it's even more important now that it is that midpoint. And like you said, it's a chance to really see what you've got for a team. Is it somebody that's going to make a take a stranglehold on first place in their division and start to run away with things? Is it somebody that's going to turn their season around and, and make a push in the playoffs? Or is it a team that maybe started hot and you see the problems and the wheels start to come off and they tailspin and somebody else overtakes them for those playoff spots? Labor Day weekend was just weird. That's all it was. It was just weird. Looking around like, what do I do? <laughs> There's no game to go to. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it, it's got me thinking about Probably my my fondest memory of the Labor Day Classics, I'll share a quick story, was actually the first one that I was able to attend in person, um, 2001, which is meaningful because it was days before the terror attacks in the U.S. and things changed forever. So um, myself and a group of, of friends from Brandon actually drove out to Regina on the Saturday, um, went to Taylor Field to pick up our tickets and at that time, the Bombers were doing their final kind of walkthrough practice before the game. And I managed to walk right out onto the sidelines. Um, I was talking with Bob Irving, who's the radio voice of the Bombers. Had a great chat with him. Got my picture taken with Milt Stiegel as he's walking off the field. Got to meet Doug Brown. There was no security issues. Nobody questioned why I was there. Um, it was a real, real wide open uh, situation where I could just come out and, and enjoy the whole experience. Um, the next game at the uh, the next day at the game, the Bombers actually did win. Um, so that was one of their, I think, four wins of the last 20 years. Um, 20 to 18. <laughs> yeah. 20 to 18. Um, and one of the things, just going back to what I was saying about the Bomber fans and the Ryder fans, I remember going to the concession stand at halftime and uh, this Ryder fan come up came up to me and was kind of laughing and said, your team sucks. You're only beating us by two. And, uh, you know, and it was one of those years that I think, like I said, the Bombers had one of their best records ever, went to the Grey Cup game. The Riders were struggling a little bit. And uh, and just to hear a comment like that just made me laugh out loud and, and really embrace the experience. We had uh, a guy behind me that every time the Riders scored, he was tapping me on the shoulder and, and yelling and cheering in my face. 
And uh, they got the first couple of scores and the Bombers marched down the field and scored a touchdown. So I stood up and turned around and looked at him and he just kind of went, oh, no. Um, so, you know, um, that, like I said, it, it was such a, a great experience. Um, coming out with the win was even better, but it just really solidified how much fun that uh, that weekend can be and certainly how much I'm, I missed it this year. For me, my probably most significant memory would be my second Labor Day game that I attended. This would be 1986. Uh, just coming back from Expo 86, uh, unfortunately for me, I happened to hop a VIA train that uh, took me from Vancouver to Calgary to uh, get back to my relatives to get to the car where I'd left. And that train was a party train for some reason, and the noise was just booming away and there was no way anyone could get any sleep so did not sleep well got into calgary at about eight in the morning had a quick breakfast said my thank yous and goodbyes and then jumped in the car and took the highway south towards medicine hatton on to saskatchewan and at about swift current i finally just caved in i had no more energy to drive so I napped for a while while my partner took over and drove for a couple hours. And just outside of Regina, we switched back, made it to the game, no problem, thankfully. And then it turned out to be a great game. Uh, Joe Pow Pow threw a late strike to Ray Elgard in the quarter of the end zone. And Saskatchewan wins in the final moments on that touchdown. It just turned out to be an amazing experience. Uh, Labor Day was a always, you could tell, it was like a, almost like a playoff atmosphere, but just a little bit different. The, a playoff atmosphere, there's a tremendous amount of tension. There's, your team is on the verge of something. Their team is on the verge of something. And everything is going to come down to how this game ends. Where on Labor Day, it's a little bit... Yeah, I think it's, it's a more jovial crowd, I guess, if you will. Yeah, there's, there's pride on the line, but it's not a season ender one way or the other. You know, and I think that's part of what makes it such a fun atmosphere. Uh, I certainly appreciate the, the fact that we've managed to go to what, three or four of these games together uh, over the last number of years. And um, being that you're a season ticket holder, I'm pretty severely outnumbered as far as the, uh, the number of, of like-minded fans in the section. Um, I think the last game, there was four of us in that whole section that were wearing blue. I certainly have had great conversations with the other season ticket holders around us. They seem to really embrace the fact that uh, that you have the audacity to bring a Bomber fan with you. Um, it's, it's a lot of fun. I, I think, again, Ryder and Bomber fans are so knowledgeable as well, for the most part. People around you know what's going on. They can appreciate when a good play is made one way or the other. Um, they're not arguing ridiculously obvious penalty calls, things like that. So it's a great place to be. It's a, a great place to be even as a, a fan of the opposition. It's more of a, a fun poking at each other as opposed to truly insulting and, um, and taking away from the experience. So um, again, I, I certainly appreciate that, that we managed to do that together uh, and remain friends and uh, <laughs> You know, someday we'll be at one when the Bombers actually win, and, uh, and I promise to behave. <laughs> Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Third Down Gamble can be found on Apple Podcasts, 
Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at ThirdDownGamble. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble Podcast. Audio. Worth watching.